0: Okay, before we get to our passage, let me say just a few things. Uh, Jesus loves His church. He loves His church. Ephesians chapter 5, it says Christ loved the church. How do we know? It says, and He gave Himself up for her. He loved the church, and He gave Himself up for her. Jesus loves the church, and He gave a promise that He would build His church. And He's been doing that, and He's doing that even now. That our Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord, because He loves His church, He's in the process even now of building His church. And something we see in the book of Acts, which is so beautiful, we just see this picture painted of the church of Jesus Christ throughout the book of Acts. We see these, uh, these little snapshots, like at the end of Acts chapter 2, you remember it? Or at the end of Acts chapter 4, or in Acts chapter 6, we see these little snapshots of, of what the church is, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's these people that are, they they care for one another, they love one another, they're the family of God. We see these people absolutely concerned with the eternal salvation of lost souls. They care about eternal suffering, so they preach a glorious gospel. But not just that, they have hearts of compassion. And they care about temporal suffering, the suffering that's now, and you see them helping and extending compassion to widows and orphans and those who are in need. Acts 2, Acts 4, and Acts 6, it says that there was none that had any need among them. Why? Why was there none that had any need among them in Acts 2, 4, and 6? Why? Because everybody getting saved was rich? No, it's because they had hearts of compassion and mercy and love, and they were selling their possessions and and giving to all as any had need. So you see this just beautiful picture of the church. I mean, how many of us have read Acts chapter two, that little snapshot where they shared all things in common? Or read Acts four. How many of us have read that and just had this yearning in our soul? God, I want to be a part of that. God, do something like that in our church. God, help us to be this. Uh, help us to follow the, exa- the example of this church. In Acts six, you see them preaching the gospel and souls are being saved. Even Jewish priests are being saved. And then you see widows who are in need being cared for in Acts chapter 6. And all of this, this beautiful, if you get it in your mind, this beautiful picture of God's church in the book of Acts, all of this is flowing out of the heart of Jesus Christ, right? That Jesus died for His church, and when He's hanging on a cross, He only speaks to two people. You know who He talks to? He's hanging on a cross and he speaks to two people. One, he speaks to that thief. And here's this representation that our Savior is dying on a cross to save people like that thief on the cross. That thief that's beside him. So he speaks to him that he's concerned with the eternal suffering of souls. But then he also speaks to someone else. He speaks to John. And he says, John, you take care of my mama. My widowed mama. So he cares about eternal suffering he speaks to John and Mary, and we see he cares about temporal suffering and his mom as a widow there as he's dying. And so we see these pictures of the church, and you hear the things that I'm saying right now, and you think, man, I, I long, I long that we as a church would grow into that more and more and more. And so God, in His mercy, has given us a letter, and the letter is 1 Timothy. And over and over again, we've called this the church order letter because it says about this letter that it's written that you might know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So we read this powerful letter, this beautiful letter, and we say, God, make us like those churches in the book of Acts. Lord, conform us into these things you lay out for us in the book of Acts and here in 1 Timothy. And so we're going through this letter together. And we're at chapter 5, and let's read verse 1 through 16. Give ear, give ear to God's Word about His church. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. But she who is self indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Little widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they ought not, what they should not. So I would have younger, women, younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us in this time. Father, we love your word. We love your word so much. God, help us to understand it. God, I pray that you would speak to us through it. Holy Spirit, address your people today through your word. God, help us to walk it out. Help us to live these things out. Help us to be doers of your word, not hearers only. God, I pray, Lord, we we come to You with humble, submissive hearts. Whatever You say, Lord, we'll do. Wherever You send us, we'll go. We just want to be under You, Lord. God, we praise You so much for Your Word. Help us as we meditate on it this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, let's talk about a little bit of uh, the breakdown of this passage. So verses 1 and 2. It shows us a church that deals with one another as a family—fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. Then, verse three through sixteen, it's a church. It shows us a church that cares for those that have no family. So, verses one and two, you know, if you imagine, uh, it's flowing out of chapter four, where Timothy is being addressed, and Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy. I want you to lead this church, and here's how I want you to lead. And then he tells Timothy in verse 1 and 2, Treat older men like fathers, younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters. Timothy, be an example to the flock, that the flock, the church, is to treat one another as family. And then verse 3 through 16, Timothy is supposed to charge them. It says that in this passage, command them, it says. It says charge them. So that they might be above reproach. We'll command them, charge them what? To care for those who have no family. To Care for those who have no family. So let's start with those first two verses. Verse 1 and 2. The church as a spiritual family. Look at it. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. So that covers everybody in the church, right? You got older men, younger men, older women, younger women. Old, young, male and female. That covers everybody in the church. And how is everyone in the church to be treated by Timothy and to be treated by one another? Well, here it says it's family. Like fathers, mothers, brothers and sisters, right? So think about that for a minute. If we're to treat one another... As family. Timothy's to treat the church as family. Parents, what sort of standard are you holding out to your kids? Are you teaching them how to treat mom? Are you teaching them how to treat daddy? Are you treat, teach, teaching them how to treat brother and sister? Because this is the springboard, this is the training ground for them to be faithful members of the local church. Because the local church is to treat one another as it says here as family the church is the household of God we know that from chapter 3 verse 15 right that the church is the household of God or the family of God it's just a reality that we are the family of God and that is a beautiful beautiful reality that when Jesus died on the cross he died to make a way for us a way for what to get us where Not just to forgiveness of sins, as beautiful as that is. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins so that our sins can be forgiven and wiped away. But it's more than that, that he died on the cross, that we would be also what? Justified, that we would be justified before our judge. But even more than that, he died on the cross. Listen, it's beautiful that we would be adopted, that we would become, we would go from enemies of God to sons and daughters of the living God. It's a beautiful thing, the adoption of God, that we who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus died for us and took away our sins, have been brought into His family, into the family of God. And so Paul is charging and challenging Timothy here, live up to that reality. You're supposed to be leading my family, Timothy. Live up to that reality and treat them as family. Treat them as family. Now what about you? Are you living up to that reality? How are you doing it at viewing your church as that's my family? How are you doing it treating your brothers and sisters in Christ at Grace Community Church of treating them as family? That's my brother. That's my sister. That's like a mother and a father to me. How are you doing at living out this reality? Listen to this this sweet exchange. This is from Mark chapter 10. I want you to see that Jesus, uh, he talked like this. This exchange between him and Peter. Mark chapter 10 verse 28. It says, Peter began to say to him, See? We have left everything and followed you. Jesus, we left it all and followed you. And listen to what he says. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come. Eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? That when you come to Christ, what it looks like to come to Christ and be saved is to forsake all else and go after Christ. To repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. And He says when you do that, you gain brothers and sisters and mothers and on. You gain a family. Even if it means forsaking your family that hates God, you get a family, it says here. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, brothers and sisters... Do not treat your church like just a group of people you happen to see once a week. But do you treat your church, would you treat your church like family? This, these are those whom I love and care for as family. You know, there's a, there's a place in 1 Corinthians 12 where it's speaking about the church as the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, it says they, they had the same care, like members of the same body have the same care for one another. It says when... when One suffers, they all weep. When one is honored, they all rejoice. Think about that sort of relationship within the body of Christ. This family that weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice. And so, Timothy's disposition towards the church is covered here fully. Older, younger, male, female, all four categories given covers everybody. But there's two categories that he gives something a little more specific, right? Right? So the older men and the younger women, he says to the older men, he adds a little specific, "Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father." And towards the younger women, it says, "Treat them as sisters," just like I said the rest, but then it says, "Treat them as sisters with all purity." So why? Why does it add these little details for these two groups? So start with the older man, the older men. Now We know, obviously, from this scripture, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. We know, obviously, from that verse, that there's an appropriate respect that should go toward age. An appropriate respect. In fact, let me read this verse to you. This is Leviticus chapter 19. Listen to this. Verse 32, it says, You shall stand up before the gray head, and honor the face of an old man. You so shall stand up. There's just measures of respect. You so shall stand up before a gray head and honor the face of an old man. So, obviously, age is to be regarded, brothers and sisters, with appropriate respect here. Now, that being said, we have to be careful with um, um, strange interpretations of verses of Scripture. We've got to interpret Scripture with Scripture, right? That we let scripture, other scripture, help us understand any particular scripture that we're looking at. So we need to be aware of some sort of extreme interpretation. So here's what I mean. Do not rebuke an older man. Does this mean that Timothy should never ever rebuke an older man? If an older man's coming in and leading the flock astray by false teaching, by heresy, should Timothy not rebuke that man? Now obviously in the scripture it's clear that he should rebuke that older man. In fact, even in the same chapter... So chapter 5, verse 1 says, don't rebuke an older man. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 is speaking about an elder. Think about that. An elder in the church that persists in sin and it says, rebuke him in the presence of all. Rebuke him in the presence of all that the others may also stand in fear. So how do we, how do we reconcile these things? How do we put these two things together? Here's one thing to consider. Verse 1, rebuke. In verse 20, rebuke, are different Greek words. And the Greek word used in verse 1 the translated rebuke is a word, that, it's a word that has a severity to it. It's a word that's it's literally to strike them or, or to beat them down. It's saying, do not beat an older man in the sense of with your words. So there's a certain measure of harshness or severity that Timothy's being warned about employing towards older men. Now, again, think about this. Does this mean that all um, sharp rebuking is off limits for Timothy? Well, think about this. If you think about verse 20, verse 20 to the modern ear, our typical modern ear, verse 20 sounds harsh, doesn't it? Rebuke them what? Publicly. In such a way that the others are afraid. That sounds harsh to the modernists, so we need to be careful making wrong applications. In fact, even Titus 1.13, Titus 1.13 says, Rebuke them sharply. It actually calls for it. There's a time when you ought to give a sharp rebuke and to not give it as cowardly and unloving. It says, Rebuke them sharply that they might be sound in the faith. So, what is this, Do not rebuke an older man? What does it mean? What does it mean? The context helps us a lot here. I want you to think about this. The context in which... Timothy is leading the church is a context in which people are despising his youth. Remember that from 4.13? People are despising his youthfulness. And and Paul says, don't let them despise your youth. But here's how you respond, Timothy. Be an example to them. And it goes on with the example. So when we get here and it says, don't rebuke an older man. what's What's being told to Timothy here? Here's what's being said. Timothy, do not poke out your chest in response to this stuff. That men are despising your youth, don't walk around towards all older men poking out your chest, trying to drive home your authority in some sort of harsh and sharp way. It's an evil thing. It's an evil thing to do that. I I think we could say, Grace Community Church, young men, beware. Beware of doing things like that. Now, the other category was younger women. It says, treat a younger woman as a sister, and then it says, with all purity. Now, why does it mention that phrase, with all purity? Because young women interacting with younger men, especially unmarried young men and unmarried young women, it introduces a certain temptations or certain problems that can arise. And so he's telling Timothy, Timothy, don't be awkward, don't treat them, don't ignore them. You love those ladies as sisters. But here's an added thought, an added, an added warning do it with all purity, young man. I think we could all take heed to that that we love the other sisters in the church as sisters. we love them and, and care for them and pray for them and encourage them as sisters. but brothers, do it with all purity. Do it with carefulness in your motives and carefulness in your actions. But all in all, verse one and two is it 's this, this picture of the church being spiritual. Family. Timothy's being charged. Timothy, be a leader. Be a leader in leading this church to be in a spiritual family, to treat one another as fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. And may Grace Community Church do the same thing. We would treat one another as fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. Now, we're getting ready to transition into verses 3 through 16, okay, from the church as a family. To how the church cares for those who have no family, so as we get ready to transition into verse three, let me just say a couple things uh, let me highlight a couple things before we do that okay number one is this is that God loves and cares for women. God loves and cares for women what, why does that why am I giving that to you why am I highlighting that to you? Duh, we know that you know, why am I highlighting that it 's because of this you get this broad strokes of Old, young men, women, in verses one and two, okay, and then verse three through sixteen, which is a big chunk of scripture. Here is a big part of this letter. It's more than is given to uh, the elders and the deacons, and a big part of this letter it drops to men and continues on with old and young women, and especially especially old and young women that have entered into some seasons of desperation because of loss. God loves and cares for women. God has made, this is a reminder to us that God has made men and women differently. He's designed women, as the scripture says, as the weaker vessel. And then he demands that men protect them and provide for them and care for them. And so often, and we've seen this all throughout history, the weakness of women designed by God has been taken advantage of by the world system. Their rights have been plundered. Their person has been belittled. Their value has been ignored. We see this all throughout the world. But listen, every single place where Christianity, true Christianity, has made significant inroads, women have been exalted to a rightful place as image bearers of God. Designed by God this way. It's a beautiful thing that shows us God loves and cares for women. God loves and cares for women and He expects us to do the same. And listen, even the stuff that we've seen in the letter, I want you to think about this. Even the stuff that we've already seen in the letter, like in chapter 2, that says that women should not be in places of authority and leadership in the local church. It shouldn't be an authority and lead. Even that's an act of love. It's, it's, it's saying this. It's saying this, this right here. That they shouldn't be in places of authority and leadership in the local church. Why? Because it would be shameful and cowardly for men to sit back in their chairs and send women to the front lines of battle. It's not that they don't fight, but you don't send them to fight first on the front lines. Just like it's shameful for a man to sit in his bedroom and say, Honey, my wife, honey, will you please go check and see what that noise is outside? I'm scared. You see how shameful that is. So even these things in 1 Timothy is meant to show us. And look at how much detail and time is given to women, young and old, and women that are in need. It just drops them in and says, let's talk about women in need. He loves and cares for women. And let me me say something more specific than that. The second thing I want to say as we transition is that God loves and cares for widows. He loves and cares for widows. You know, Psalm... uh, 68 verse 5, it says this about God. God is called a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. Who's your God? My God is a father to the fatherless and my God is a defender of widows. That's who he is. He loves widows. He loves the fatherless. He loves the needy. Let me read this verse to you. Exodus 22 Listen to this, verse 22 and 23. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. My wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Our God loves the widow. Our God loves the needy, the poor, needy, the fatherless, and the widow. He says, if you you mess with them, if you mistreat them, they're going to call out to me. And God says, I'm going to kill you if you do that. Our God is a defender, a defender of the widow. Now, 1 Timothy 5, verse 3, it transitions, and it shows us how this love and this care for the widow, and I think you could broaden it out to the poor and the needy, the destitute, abandoned how they should be cared for in the local church. So let's transition to verses 3. Really we're focusing in on verses 3 through 8. And then verses 16. And what we see here is the church cares for those who have no family. So Timothy is to charge the church at Ephesus to be faithful and cared for those who have no family. So how, so as we transition to verse 3 through 8... How is the church to care for widows? How is the church to care for widows and the poor and needy? Now, what we see here in this passage is there's individual and corporate responsibilities. Think about that for a minute. There's individual responsibilities, individual Christian responsibilities, and there's corporate church responsibilities. Now, that's an important concept to grasp to understand the passage, but it's also just an important concept to grasp to understand how the the church it's supposed to function, okay? There, The things that individual Christians ought to do and the things that the church ought to do are not always the same, okay? There's a sinful tendency for individual Christians to, to push the church to do something that they ought to do. And there's a foolish tendency for the church to attempt to do things that really they ought to be pushing individual Christians to do, okay? So there's this concept that there's different layers of responsibility. There's individual responsibility, and then there's us as a church, corporate responsibility. So let's start with the individual responsibilities towards the widow. Now, before we do that real quick, um, as we get ready to read these verses, let's define what a widow is, okay? Most obviously a widow is, is a lady who has lost her husband, right? Okay, now this puts them in a desperate situation, and especially when this is being in the church at Ephesus, at this time period, this puts them in a, a, a place of desperation. Now, this passage shows us that there's different degrees of that desperation. That, that desperation in, in a widow, it can be, the, it can be desperate because she's lost her husband, but there's children or grandchildren or relatives there to help her and care for her. But then there's this other degree of desperation that they don't have that. They have no backup. They got no one to help them. And you really see that if you look at verse 5. It says, she who is truly a widow, and look at what it says, these three words, left all alone. You see it? Left all alone. What's a widow? This true, what's a true widow? A widow is one that is left all alone. She's in a desperate situation. Her provider, her protector has been taken from her. Okay. And then I believe, by matter of principle, you can broaden this idea of widow out to, you know, over, over, in the, over and over again in the Scriptures, we see widows and the fatherless, widows and orphans put side by side. It's the poor, it's the, it's the destitute, it's those that have been left without. They've been left without their protectors and their providers. As a church, we should care for them. And one other thing, verse 3, this word, honor. Honor widows who are truly widows. What does the word honor mean? I want you to understand this as we move forward. The word honor, typically we think of respect, to give honors, to give respect. And it definitely includes that. It definitely includes the idea of respect. But the word honor also, it goes past just respect. The word itself actually means to value them. It's to to place a price tag on them, a, a high price. Put it on them, a high price. Value them highly. But then it even goes past that, that this word honor has to do with financial support or material support to the widow. Now, how do I know that? If you go read the fifth commandment and, and the Ten commandments, the fifth commandment says honor your father and mother, right? Honors, that word, honor your father and mother. Now, when Jesus applies that in Mark chapter 7, he applies it to a child or a grandchild giving financial support to mom or dad. Honor your father and mother. Remember that passage in Mark 7? There were some people that were saying, Corbin, I give all my money to the church, in a sense. I give all my money to the synagogue, or the temple. That's why I get my money. And he says, he rebukes them, says, you're, caught, you're, you're ignoring the commands of God by doing that to honor your father and mother. Okay? Or another place to see this idea that honor has to do with not only respect, not only value, but, but material support. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your increase. So honor God, and it's connected to what you do with your wealth and the first fruits of the increase of your wealth. And you can even see it here in the context in chapter 5. It is saying, honor widows who are truly widows. And you go down to verse 8, it says, if anyone does not what? Provide. Provide. So we're talking about honor widows who are truly widows, as in provide for them. Provide for them. Help them. Care for them. So what is the individual responsibilities in this well we see it in verse 4 okay so look with me at verse 4 so the church has been told to honor widows who are truly widows verse 3 but then verse 4 gives us something individual but look at it but if a widow has children or grandchildren let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God I love that this pleases God, he says. You want to know something that pleases God? When a child or grandchild cares for their mom or their grandmother that's in need. He says, that, 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 this is pleasing. It says, look at it. That is pleasing in the sight of God. That's pleasing to God. Isn't that beautiful? That that's a pleasing thing to God. I tell you what God can't stand. God can't stand it when people try to look all spiritual, doing all these spiritual things and then neglect their household. They neglect their family. and neglect their parents. Think about that in Mark, the one in Mark 7, right? They look all spiritual, don't they? We call on all our finances. We call Corbin. It all goes to the temple. It all goes to the center. That's where it's going. And Jesus can't stand that. He says, you're ignoring the commands of God. It says, honor your father and mother. It's a pleasing thing for a child or grandchild to repay their parents. In fact, here it says it's showing godliness. It's a show of godliness. Okay. Now, I know in many situations, to obey verse 4, children or grandchildren or relatives towards parents, in many situations, it's very hard. A lot of you have experienced the hardness of things like that, caring for parents in that way. And what can happen is in the midst of that hardness and it's taking up a lot of time and it's taking up a lot of emotions. In the midst of that, you can have this thought that, man, this is such a hindrance to real ministry. That I ought to be doing real work for the Lord. And here I am, I'm having to spend all this time and all this emotion, all all this energy caring for the elderly, caring for my mom, caring for my dad. And yet, what does God's word say right here? Does it talk like that? No, it says pleasing. Listen to me. It's pleasing in the sight of God. I, I want you to understand this. Think about a person. Their mom has grown old or a relative of theirs has grown old and they're caring for them and they're loving them. Maybe they've got dementia. Maybe they've got Alzheimer's. Whatever has happened. And they're loving them and caring for them. Listen to me. That's pleasing to God, it says in His Word. This says pleasing to God. Pleasing to Him. He loves it. He enjoys it when you do things like that. Because here's the thing. The reason why we can have thoughts like, man, I could be doing, you know, real work of the ministry. Right? I could be doing real work. The reason why we think like that is because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. He's different than us. He thinks differently than us. He's not like us. And I'll tell you one example where this hit me really hard. One example where this hit me really hard. It's in the life of a man named Tom Carson. A lot of you might know who D.A. Carson is. Well, D.A. Carson wrote, wrote a uh, biography about his dad uh, named Tom Carson. It's this book right here. It's called The Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. The Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. It's a man that spent his life in Canada serving the Lord, preaching the gospel, pastoring the church, nothing flamboyant, nothing, no, no great awakenings, no big revivals, Just faithful to God year after year after year, seeing souls saved and shepherding God's church. It's a biography about that. And then at the end of his life, and I want you to think about how God does not think like we think. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. God, how are you going to end Tom Carson's life? He spent all this time doing this fruitful ministry, right? How's he going to end it all? How's he going to cross the finish line at the very end? And D.A. Carson writes about how his dad and his mom mom, uh, began to have Alzheimer's and some of the things that happened at the end of his life. Listen to this of how Tom ended ended his ministry, designed by God, because he didn't think like we think. As mom descended lower into the abyss of Alzheimer's, dad lost a soulmate with whom to converse. When she began to lose her motor skills, Dad would have pull her to her feet and walk backward, drawing her along with her hands to get her to walk the short distance to the bedroom or bathroom. She'd teeter back and forth, yet prove very slow about putting a foot forward with each teeter. And thus a five-second walk became a 20- or 30-minute exercise. The tasks multiplied. External ministry just about evaporated. Dad's ministry was looking after mom. And not once, not once did any of his children hear a single note of self pity or a muttered, This isn't the woman I married, or any such thing. We cannot recall a single time when he lost patience with her. He sang to her, he sang to her a great deal and found a funny side to almost everything. Pleasing. Would you have designed the end of his life that way? Pleasing ministry to God, what verse 4 says. Now, my heart has been full of thinking about all the brothers and sisters, men and women in our church that have been a faithful example to us of this over the years. I've been thinking about it, been looking through the membership list, thinking about different uh, situations like this, and my heart has been full. And some of you are in the thick of it. Some of us here are in the thick of it, even right now. And I don't think Emily's here. Molly, are you here? Both in the nursery. Y'all tell them this is pleasing to God. You think about what they're going through and what they're doing and the hardness of it, and you tell them pleasing to the living God. Designed by Him and pleasing to the living God. Bridges, I know you guys are going through that as well. Bridges are here, right? I saw you earlier. Pleasing to the living God. Not a waste of time. Not even a little bit. Uh, my mom and dad have been a sweet example to our family as they've gone through the same thing, pleasing to the living God. I want you to be encouraged that that these people that have done this and that are in the midst of doing this right now, they are gospel examples to us. Do you understand that? These are gospel examples. Listen to this from Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Beautiful, beautiful gospel example. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died, for the ungodly. Did you hear it? While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. These are gospel pictures when they come in with people at their weakest places and they lay down their life for them. It's gospel pictures. And in this church, we're thankful to have so many of those. So brothers and sisters all across the room, we must follow these examples. We must obey God's word. We must follow these examples. How serious is it to follow these examples? Listen, think about verse 8. Verse 8, think about the strong language here. If anyone does not provide for his own, he is denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. You see how serious this is to God? That if you don't provide for your own, your own relatives, especially those of your own household. You've denied the faith, he says. And you're worse than an unbeliever. This is serious to God. Verse 16 tells us, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Believe in women. Care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Care for them. Individual responsibility. Let's move to corporate responsibility. A corporate responsibility towards widows. So verse 16, if you're looking at verse 16, if any believing widow has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. And listen, let the church, let the church, so not just talking about individuals in the church like the believing woman, but the church corporate, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So verse 16 tells us there's a time when the church should say, no, you do it. I mean, obviously not exactly like that, but there's a time when the church should, should push individuals to take their responsibility, to obey God and their responsibility. That's not a corporate church thing. That's a Christian thing. You do it. Okay? But why? So that the church can relax? No, this says so that the church can be burdened with those who are truly widows, those who really are left all alone, it says in verse 5. So that the church can care for those who are left all alone. So, verse 3. This is a command to the church. Listen, it's a command to the church. Honor widows who are truly widows. Honor them. A command to church corporate. Honor widows who are truly widows. We see this in the Bible. The church at Jerusalem was doing this. Acts chapter 6. They're caring for widows. The daily distribution, it says. We see this in the church at Joppa. They were doing this. Acts chapter 9 verse 36 to the end of the chapter speaks about widows in that church that were cared for. And we see here the church at Ephesus is doing this. 1 Timothy chapter 5 is telling us that the church is doing this and they need to do it well. Need to do it maybe even better than what they're doing. So, Grace Community Church, pray for this. This is a command that we would be. We would have hearts of compassion, hearts of love towards the destitute, the, the bereft of their husbands, that we would love them and care. pray that we'd be faithful in this. This is a big deal. You think about this. What would you rather have? A million, a million dollars and go retire somewhere and live it up in luxury for the rest of your life? Or that you could really care for thousands of widows and orphans, those that are in need? If you're in Christ, I know what you would rather have. Let's pray that we would be faithful in that in this church. That we would be faithful in that. It's so important to God that He literally set up an office in His church to make sure this stuff is done well. Okay, Acts chapter 6, the widows were being supported, but, but it got a little overwhelming and it wasn't being done very well. And so they, they got deacons. They actually ordained, uh, appointed deacons to make sure that that ministry was being done well. Well, we see this about deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's requirements to be being uh, deacons. It was so important to God that He literally set up an office in the church to make sure it's done well. And so, brothers and sisters, pray for your deacons. Pray that we as a church, led out by the deacons, would do this to the glory of Christ. We would do it well. Now, I want to move on to... Um, The portrait here of a a godly widow but before we do that there is a difficulty in this text that i want to mention to you i just want to make you aware of it okay there's a difficulty here now i want to try to say it uh quick and move on quickly because we don't want to spend all the time talking about the things that we don't understand as much right so there's a difficulty there's a debate there's there's two sides of understanding especially verse nine And, and i want to explain it to you quickly and i just want to give you a taste and you can go back and Dig into this later, or we can talk about it later. But here, here's, here's the difficulty. Verse 9 says enrolled. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. And then it goes on with other requirements. So let a widow be enrolled. So, so enrolled means there's a list. The church had a list, and there was widows on that list. And there were qualifications to get on the list and, and, and there were restrictions. You couldn't be on the list if you had this. You could be on the list if you had this. So, so what is, here's the debate. What is this list? What is this list? Is it, number one, is it just simply the, a list of the widows that the church supports? Is that what it is? Or, a second way of looking at it, is it a list of widows who are enrolled for a special service in the church? So, in other words, not just those that the church supports, But there's this special set-apart service role that some of these older women, these older widows were uh, enlisted to do, okay? Those are the two ways of looking at it, okay? It's been debated for a long time. Where do do we land, right? So here's a few things I can say. Verse 3 through 8, which we've already looked at. If you look at verse 3 through 8, just kind of glance at it there. It's definitely referring to the support of widows in need. Honor those who are truly widows. Honor them. Support them uh, in the context. Provide for them. Okay, so we're talking about honor widows who are in true need. So it's definitely talking about that. And then verses three through eight shows us some priority there. That priority for who the church supports should be given to Christian widows, to widows in the church. In other words, and it makes sense, right? Not the support wouldn't be going towards uh, uh, women who would be taking that support and going off and living in godless luxury or godlessness. Period. Right. Wouldn't be supporting that kind of lifestyle. But we support Christian widows, and you see that in verse five and six. Look at it: She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God. It's a Christian, and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. She's dead man walking. She's dead even while she lives. She's not saved. So there's a priority. Not the, I don't think it means that the church is restricted that we can never ever help or support corporately, uh, uh, a situation like that. But certainly priority is given to Christian women, and it's talking about supporting those in need in verses 3 through 8. So, when you get to verse 9, it says, enroll them. Is it talking about enrolling widows, and it just gives you more restrictions on those those that should be prioritized? In other words, not only do they need to be Christian, verse 3 through 8, But verse 9 through 15, they also need to be above 60, and they also need to have a reputation, a really godly reputation. Okay? That's one view. But here's the majority view. This is the way most people tend to view this passage. Verse 3 through 8 is about supporting widows in need, honor them. And verses 9 through 15, these are widows that are being... Uh, enrolled into a special uh, service role to the church, some sort of an official service role to the church. Now, what are the reasons for this view? And I'll just try to, there's several, but I'll just try to give you a a few of them quickly, okay? Uh, Maybe I'll give you three of them quickly. One, one reason people think like that is because of the word enrolled itself. That Greek word that's translated enrolled, okay? That word, many believe, has some connotations with it that means something about service, okay? So for example, if I looked at you, there's, there's a word in our language that has some of those connotations. Like if I said, um, old Bill went and got enlisted, okay? Enlisted. What would you think I meant? You wouldn't say, well, what list did he get put on? He got enlisted. You'd be thinking some sort of he's going to serve in the army. He's going to serve in the military. He's been enlisted, right? It's something like that. And and they understand this word to have some sort of connotation like that. That When we're talking about women being enrolled, that that word has to do with service, not so much with just support of widows. That's one reason. Second reason that that many give, second reason would be the, the strict requirements that are given. So think about it. The restrictions in verse 9 through 15, it's not just that they're Christian, but it's just they must, they must be above 60. And go read that reputation. They've got to have a really godly reputation. So how do we understand that? Does that mean as a church corporately, we should not support the widows that are under 60 that are in need, at least until they get remarried or whatever? Does that mean we shouldn't do that? You see the difficulty? Or even more difficult than that is that mean we should never support a widow that doesn't have this godly reputation, but she's walking with God now. In other words, what about the sixty-one year old woman who was saved when she was sixty-one, and then she lost her husband, and now should we not? She doesn't have that godly reputation. Should we not support this one? You see the difficulty there. And then maybe one more. I'll give you. Would be if you look at verse 11. Verse 11 assumes that to get on this list, you're making some sort of vow of celibacy for service. Okay, look at verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. Okay, now think about that for a minute. Don't put the younger widows on the list, and it doesn't say, but rather tell them to marry. Now, it will say that in a minute. It will say, I... I say that they should marry. And we'll say that in a minute. But that's not what it says right here. What it says right here is, don't put them on the list because they're going to do something. And it almost talks about it like it's wrong. They're going to desire to marry and bring condemnation on themselves. Now, we know that's not wrong because later it's going to tell them to marry. So what's wrong about this? It's, it seems to assume that to get on this list, you have entered into some sort of vow, a vow of celibacy that's for service to the local church. Okay, so these are three of... And there's a few others, but we need to move on. But I want you to, I want to encourage you to think about that. Uh, this is the way people have, this is the difficulty in the text, the way people have viewed it over the time. That last view I gave you is the majority view. But let's come, let's come to this portrait of a godly widow. Okay? We're going to be focusing on verse, verses five through six and verses nine through fifteen. Okay? It's a portrait of a godly widow. And you've and you got eight descriptions here. Eight descriptions. And I, I grouped it up into eight descriptions of a godly widow. Now, why does this matter to us? We're about to look at this. Why does it matter? Well, for women, it's obvious why it matters, right? Because you, you, know, you, you don't plan or desire to be a widow one day, but that's a little out of your control. You want to be a godly woman. This picture of a godly widow is a picture of a godly woman. Okay, So you want to look at this. You want to pay attention. Married men, why does this matter to you? Because you want to shepherd and love and care for your wives to lead them in this sort of direction. That they would be this portrait of a godly woman. Younger men, single men, why does it matter to you? Because this is the kind of woman, as you look at this description, this is the kind of woman that you want to pray that God allows you to marry someday. Okay, And why does this matter for the church? Well, because either way, however you interpret what I just spoke to you a minute ago, as a church, we need to be those that honor widows who are truly widows. And either that means, as you get to verse 9, enroll them, either it means that we give, uh, this is going to give us insight into who we should give priority to, or it's going to give us insight into who we should appoint in the future as this, um, this group of, uh, this army of godly older women that serve the church in this way. Either way we need to see this portrait of a godly widow very clearly. So let's just walk through them. Eight descriptions. Number one, she has hope in God. Look at verse 5. She has hope in God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God. She set her hope on God, not on men. Not even her own husband. You see, you can read, especially verse 15, Leave verse 15. For some have already strayed after Satan. Some of these women had already strayed after Satan. If there were things happening to where they're married to this man, they're walking with God, they're in the church, their husband dies, they go astray. They walk away from God. And what, that, what did that reveal about the heart? That the heart was not really wrapped up in God. That they were there because their husband was there. But Christ was not their own. But here we got this portrait of a godly widow. Her hope is in God, not in men, not her husband, but in God, God Himself, her Savior. Her hope is in God. Ladies, what will be revealed about you when your husband is taken away? What will be revealed about your heart when your husband is taken away? Is God, is Christ your anchor? Is He your anchor? Number two, she's a prayer warrior. You see that in verse 5. She's a prayer warrior. It says, she has set her hope in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She continues in prayer and supplication night and day. She's a prayer warrior. Go read about Anna in Luke chapter 2. That Anna, she was, oh, she never left the temple. She's just calling out to the Lord in prayers and fastings and supplication and worship to God. She's a prayer warrior, and she was a widow as well. Anna in Luke chapter 2. There's another lady that's a good example of this to me is Miss Beth Merritt. I don't know if any of you know, if y'all remember who Beth Merritt was. And this older lady, uh, when I first came to Christ, I met her and went to a certain church meeting. And at this church meeting, I meet this older lady. Okay? And this sweet, this sweet old lady, she had been... Uh, abandoned, so she fit this category. She had been abandoned by her husband when her husband found out that their son was going to have disabilities. And she'd been abandoned by him. And here she is, a faithful lady, and she she approaches me, first time I met her, and she starts talking to me and Lydia, find out what's going on. Me and Lydia were about to be married in about a month. Okay, we weren't married yet, we were about to be married. And she finds that out, she says, okay, well I'm going to pray for y'all. And I thought she just said it like everybody else says it, right? Like, she might pray for me, but... One, you know, one time and then, that, then forget about it, right? Well, two or three months in, I, think, I believe, maybe more, into our marriage, we get this note from Beth Merritt. Okay, I have no doubt she got our ad- address. <laughs> but we get this note, I'm praying for you and encouraging our souls that this woman had been praying for us during that time. I remember I got, we got really close to her. I remember the first time that she met my dad. My dad was not a Christian at the time. And she had been praying for my dad and praying for my dad and praying for my dad. And so when she met him at a church service for the first time, she looks at him and about freaks my dad out because her, her, she just starts, eyes ah, filling up with tears and grabbing his head and just starts praying for him. <laughs> uh, this woman was faithful in prayer. She died, and, we, and we, you go, we got to go look through her closet and all on her door and all these uh, prayer requests and, and, and uh, strategies of prayer, all these things she was doing all over Her closet. So, ladies, do you know what it is to pray? Do you know how to pray? Hope in God and pray. Number three, she's devoted to home and family. She's devoted to home and family. Look at verse 9. It says, Little widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband having been the wife of one husband. Now, the way that to understand that is she's a one-man woman, right? Uh, that that he, he has her devotion, he has her attention, that she loves her husband, she's a one-man, that's the way to understand that phrase, uh, the, the wife of one husband, that she's a one-man woman, is what she is. Uh, there's a verse that some of you may know, Proverbs chapter 31, I want to read this. Listen to this toward her husband. Verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She's faithful to her husband. Keep going in the home and family. She's devoted to home and family. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, And having a reputation for good works, if she is brought up... Children. Talking about bringing up children. And it connects that to a good work. If she's got a reputation for good works, and then it's going to give you some different good works. And the first one it gives is she brought up children. Bringing up children is a good work. So she's a faithful wife, a faithful mother. Psalm 127 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. She treats her children like that, ready to shoot them out for the glory of God. In fact, again, Proverbs 31, verse 28, it says, uh, Her children, this woman that's more excellent uh, or more rare than rubies, it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. And then it says, if you jump down to verse 14, what he tells the younger widows to do, look at this. We see it again. So I would have the younger widows to marry, this faithful wife, Bear children, a faithful mother, and it says manage their households. Manage their households. And I love this. So, so she's devoted to her home and her family. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. We're not talking about, um, don't think, when you read that, marry, bear children, and manage your household. Don't think uh, uh, little house on the prairie, homemaker. Okay? You know what that is. Don't, don't, don't just think about little house on the prairie. Think about Psalm 127. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. That's what she's doing. She's raising up arrows and sending them out for the glory of God in her home. That's how she manages her home. Think, about, think, think of it like spiritual warfare in the home. Do you see that in verse 14? Spiritual warfare says, manage their households. And look, look at the next phrase. And give the adversary no occasion for slander. This is a woman that manages her, she manages her home in such a way that she shuts the mouth of the devil. That's what we mean. A little house on the prairie, but Bible. A woman of God. Now, obviously, uh, all of this doesn't fit every single woman's scenario and every single woman's situation. Right? There's women called into singleness. There's uh, women that are not able to have uh, for whatever reason God has in mind, are not able to have children at that time. So there's different scenarios. Everything's not the same across the board. But what we know from these verses is that this is normative. This is normative, godly woman, godly widow. We see this in chapter, uh, Titus chapter 2, right? In Titus chapter 2, it says, let the older women teach the younger women to be lovers of their husbands, faithful wife, lovers of their children, faithful mother. It says, discreet, chaste, Homemakers, just like it's talking about here, managers of their household. So, ladies, listen to me. Do this well. This is more, this is calling you to more than just being married. It's calling you more than just having babies. It's calling you more than even to just be in home. It's not that. It's calling you to something more to that. This is saying manage your household for the glory of King Jesus, for the advancement of his kingdom. Manage it well. Manage it well. One more time, I'll give you a verse in Proverbs 31. Verse 27 says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. It's more than just being home. (laughs) It's not just being home. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness, but she looks well to the ways of her household. Number four. This description of a godly widow, number four. She's on guard against common pitfalls. She's on guard against common pitfalls. Look at verse six. Verse six says, But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Self-indulgence. This idea of living your life for luxury and comfort. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Don't go after luxury and comfort, self-indulgent, all about me. Live to the glory of Christ. Every breath, every movement, every action to the glory of Christ. He says something similar in verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers. Idlers, that's this, this laziness, this do-nothing life. This is not ladies. You're not called to do nothing. You're called to live for the glory of Christ. Good works for His namesake. It says, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but gossips. Don't say what you ought not to say. And busybodies, saying what they should not. Busybodies, they're busybodies, not busy serving the Lord. Not busy serving the Lord. Number five, she's given to hospitality. You see it in verse 10? Verse 10, not only she's brought up children, it says, but has shown hospitality. Now listen to me. Hospitality. That's not a small thing. Think about where this shows up in God's Word. Hospitality. It shows up in the requirements, the qualifications for being a pastor in the local church. He must be hospitable. It's not a small thing. It shows up in in Romans chapter 12, I believe it's verse 13. He must be given to hospitality. So, So it's very, very important. It shows up here in qualifications. Don't put her on the list if she's not given the hospitality. It's a big deal. Ladies, are you given to this? Are you given to this? Number six, it says, She has washed the saints' feet. Again, verse 10, has washed the feet of the saints. Now, isn't that beautiful? Ultimately, this is what we're talking about, ladies. We want you to be like Christ. Christ is the example. Christ is the one. Do you remember it? When he dressed himself like a slave and got down and washed the nasty, dirty feet of those that were under him. He says, be like that. Ladies, wash the feet of the saints. Serve them. Care for them. This is, this is, this is a, a lady who just is overflowing with love. It says here, for the saints. That's the holy ones. That's the church. That's God's people. And she loves the saints and cares for them. I love this this picture in 1 Corinthians 16, 15. It speaks about the household of Stephanus. Household. That's that's daddy, mama, and children. Household of Stephanus. It says they devoted themselves to the ministry or the service of the saints. They devoted themselves to washing the saints' feet. I love how the King James says, it says they, they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They were... Absolutely addicted to it. Sisters in Christ, go after this. Go after it with all your heart. Number seven, she cares for the afflicted. You see that in verse 10 as well. Has cared for the afflicted. The afflicted ones. That's those that are under tremendous, uh, 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 tremendous pressure. It's those that are under oppression. Those that are uh, broken or being crushed. It's the afflicted ones. Her heart goes out to the afflicted ones, but she doesn't stop there. She does something about it. She cares for the afflicted ones. Sisters, go after this. Care for the afflicted ones. Get your hands dirty. Do the hard things. Go after the ones that are hurting and enter into their pain. She cares for the afflicted ones. Ladies, if you do this, one day the Scripture says you're going to hear from Jesus, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Care for the afflicted ones. And last, number eight. She has a reputation for being devoted to good works. We see that in verse 10, right? And having a reputation for good works... And then the last thing it says in verse 10 says, And has devoted herself to every good work. She has a reputation for good work. She's devoted herself to every good work. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. I commend it to you. That you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That they are prepared by God good works for you. will you Will you walk in them? Will you walk in them? A reputation, it says here. Sisters, what are you known for? What are you known for? What's your reputation? What's going to be on your tombstone? Will you have a reputation for the things that we're looking at here and laying out here? Would you strive for that? Now, in closing, let me say this. Many of you, ladies, uh, women, many of you hear what I'm saying. And uh, I think you're, I hope you're encouraged. Uh, you know, you do some self-examination. You see some places where God's grown you in those things. You see some places where maybe you're weak and you need to be strengthened, but the mindset is, thank you for the Word of God, and I'm going to move forward into it. I know many of you are in that place, and I praise God for that, and, and that's, that's what I desire anyways, okay? But then there's some of you that, you know, slump your shoulders. I'm just not there. I'm just, you know, I just, I just can't. Now, that standard got laid out in God's Word, and you just slump your shoulders. You say, man, I'm just defeated by that, okay? So I want to say a quick word to the shoulder slumpers, okay? Let me say something to you really quick, okay? Please believe this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. I quoted it at the very beginning. It says, husband, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Okay, take the husband and wife thing out for a minute. Don't worry about that. Here's what I want to focus on. Like Christ loved... The church. And he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Listen to me. shoulder slumpers. Listen to me. The same Jesus in that verse that loved you and gave Himself for you at the cross is the same Jesus that's devoted to your sanctification. He's going to help you. He's going to help you. Yes, He's bidden you to fly, but He gives you wings to do it. He's going to help you. You believe, in it, you believe in His justification. That, that when you believed in Christ, you were justified, the sins were wiped out, you were counted righteous by God. You believe Christ for that. Listen to me. Believe Him for His sanctification. That the same God that does that, He who began a good work in you, will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. Ladies of Grace Community Church, please believe that. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for Your Word and for helping us to dwell here for a moment. God, I pray that You would help us as a church to live up to these things, Lord. You have made us family. Help us to live up to that. God, I pray that You would take us out of this mindset of just just seeing each other here and there, but to treat one another like brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. God, help us to love each other well. God, I pray that You would make us faithful To care for the poor and the needy and the neglected and the abandoned, the widows and the orphans. God, help us to care for them well. God, help us to take up our responsibilities as Christians and our responsibilities as a church. And Lord, I pray that you would be exalted in the way we love and care for those who have no family and those that are destitute. Make us faithful, Lord. Help us to see needs. Make us like that church that there was no need among them because of the love that you poured out in their hearts for each other. Make us like that church, Lord. And God, I pray for the women of Grace Community Church. God, I pray that you would give them growth and sanctification, that you would fulfill your word, that you would complete in them the work that you've already begun. Lord, I pray they'd be faithful, Lord, that they would love you with all their heart and soul, that they would hope in you. God, I pray that they they would be prayer warriors, Lord. That you would teach them what it's like to go into the secret place and call out to you and to commune with you there. God, keep them from idleness and laziness, Lord. Please, God, keep them from self indulgence and luxury and longings for comfort. God, I pray they long for you more than luxury, you more than comfort. God, I pray for the the wives that you make them faithful wives, Lord, and the mothers that you make them faithful mothers, God, and and God, make them faithful managers of their homes. God, I pray that you would produce homes all around Grace Community Church, Lord, that, that function for the glory of your name, that shut Satan's mouth. God, I pray that you would raise up ladies that care for the afflicted and wash the saints' feet, and that are devoted to every good work. Thank You, Lord, that You've done that. And Lord, we pray You do it more and more. In Jesus' name, Amen.